Welcome to the Alcohol Rethink Podcast with me, your host, Patrick Fox. This podcast is for the guys out there who question the role that alcohol plays in their lives, men who want to stop drinking and don't know where to go or how to start. We're going to cover all of that and more. Let's go. Hi guys and welcome to the Alcohol Rethink Podcast, episode number 46. So, if you didn't know by now, my name's Patrick Fox and I am the host of this podcast. I work with guys like yourself to help them stop drinking alcohol. But the real key thing that we do is not only stop drinking, but is to work on everything that alcohol has been impacting or affecting in your lives. So many guys that I work with have had relationships affected. They've had their businesses affected. Their children have been affected by their habit of drinking. And by working through my six-month coaching program, we're really able to work on all of those things so that they can show up in the way that they want. Now, if this is something that sounds good that you wanna learn more about, well, book a consultation with me. Let's have a chat, let's just see where you are, let's see how I can help you best, and go from there. You can find out the link in the show notes to book a consultation, or guys, I've got a 30-day mindset reset around alcohol. There's a link for that in the show notes as well. I highly recommend going through it. It's a email you receive every single day. There's five different points of that email. So there's a video, there's a quote, there's a workbook, there's a task, and there's also alcohol facts, right? Like all of these things that when you start putting them all together, like these are what start tipping that seesaw of change for yourself to help you go from somebody who identifies as a drinker to being not a drinker. In today's episode, guys, I'm going to be sharing with you a training that I recorded and the title of it is called Feeling Your Way to Sobriety. I've spoken in this podcast many, many, many times about how important it is for us to really start getting in touch with our emotions, right? Like emotions aren't these things that happen to us, they're things that we create for ourselves through the way that we think about ourselves and the world around us. And unfortunately, for many of us, we kind of have been told that it's weak to feel emotions, that we have to kind of have put on this brave face and man up and all of these really unhelpful belief systems that we receive. Yet the key in life to anything is feeling your feelings, right? Like I'm seeing this in so many other ways as well right now. Like I think about my golf swing. So I love golf. I've been playing it for about 20 odd years, but not really making vast improvements. And over the last few months of this year, like I've really been in my golf swing, actually feeling what it feels like with the club. And it's it's almost got to this point where like, I I know I've hit a perfect shot before I've even fully finished my swing because I can just feel it in terms of like how the the weight of the club moves. And it's it's amazing, right? Like just recognizing that it's about how we feel. Same with going to the gym, right? Like when we go to the gym, in order to get bigger muscles or to like get the most out of your workout, like you've really got to focus on on that muscle like contracting those muscles so that they get the squeeze so that they like tear down the fibers and 
by doing that, like really feeling what you're actually doing rather than picking up a weight that's massively too heavy for you and just using incorrect form, like actually having a lower weight by doing the repetitions, by really feeling into what you're doing, you're going to see so much gain from it. And that is true for stopping drinking as well, right? Like when we're able to start feeling our way through these emotions that we have, when we start getting an understanding of why we have those emotions, it's so, so fucking powerful. All right, guys, I'm going to hand myself over to myself. No, that sounds terrible. (laughs) I'm going to let you listen to this training. All right, guys, take care. Yeah, so this evening we're talking about feeling your way to sobriety. So feelings are so important and integral on the journey on becoming alcohol-free. And I think the trouble is with feelings is they're pretty much misunderstood. We don't really get taught about feelings. We don't get taught about our emotions when we're growing up. We get taught that other people are actually responsible for how we feel and how we cope with our feelings. And it's not true. And what I want for you to see through the end of this training is how you can start to get in tune with the feelings that you're having, experiencing in your body and recognizing that they are not the enemy. You do not need to get rid of them. It's getting rid of them that is actually causing the problems and not the actual feelings themselves. So we have got a live Q&A section at the end of this training. So if you are in Zoom with me, drop a question into chat and we can have a look at it there. Or if you're watching over in the Facebook group, drop it into the Facebook chat and I'll come back and check it and see how we're getting on. So I'd like to start this evening by with a story. So it's about a frog and a scorpion. And the scorpion wanted to cross this river. It's a very big river. He couldn't get across on his own. And the frog could swim. And he said to the frog, will you take me to the other side of the river? Now, the frog, rightly so, was a bit hesitant. And he said to the scorpion, if I take you, you're just going to sting me and we'll both die. And the scorpion replied, why would I do that if we're both going to die? The frog was a little hesitant, as you can imagine. He took a little bit of time to consider, and then he decided that he was going to take the scorpion to the other side of the river. About halfway across the river, the scorpion stung the frog in the back, dooming them both. In his last dying moments, the frog turned to the scorpion. He said, why did you sting me? And the frog said, and the scorpion said, because it's in my nature. That's just what I do. And I think this story is quite important in what I'm going to tell you today, because we're going to be looking at the feeling of desire and how that shows up for us. And that when we have a feeling of desire, it makes us feel like we have to follow through on it. And that's similar to the story with the frog and the scorpion. The the scorpion had the desire to sting the frog because that's what he does. And I think that's what happens when we're drinking is that we create beliefs about this is just what we do. And we find it very difficult to stop drinking because we think this is just who we are. So I want to help you to dispel that myth about yourself, that story. And because it is just a story, guys. So... We're going to start today and we're going to be looking at desire. But moreover, we're going to be looking at the over desire. 
because it's the overly desire that creates that feeling that we have to have a drink, that we need to drink in order to be able to cope. So whether that's with stress, anxiety, whether it's through boredom, generally it's an uncomfortable feeling that we want to try and get rid of. And this is the thing with feelings is that a feeling is just a sensation in our body. And in life, everything we do is because of how we think we'll feel afterwards. So if we think that we're going to feel better after drinking, then that's the feeling we're after. It's not necessarily the drinking. We just know that the drinking is a quick way to get there. And because we train ourselves to drink a lot, right, to get those feelings. So today we're going to explore what is an urge? Like, what, where do they come from? And then most importantly, like, how do we improve, how do we process them? Because that's what you really want to know is how do you process an urge? How do you manage those feelings, that state of whatever it is uncomfortable, that you can control it? and then manage it because the more that we manage our urges and not give in to them, that's where the magic happens with stopping drinking. And there's three choices, right? So there's three ways that you can currently manage urges. And only one of them is really effective. In fact, there's only one of them that is the one that will get you to where you want to go. And we're going to explore that very shortly. <clears throat> so I'd like to talk to you about Pablo's dogs. You may have come across this study before so uh, Ivan Pavlov was a Russian uh, psychologist and uh, back in the late 1900s early 1800s early 1900s sorry and he was very renowned for the, the work that he done on conditioning and this particular study he did with the dogs was around how the dogs would respond to a certain set of circumstances that Ivan put into place and the first thing he did is that he thought that when he put the dog food on the floor the dogs would start drooling the dogs would start desiring the food when they saw it being placed on the floor and as they done this experiment they began to see that actually they began ringing, ringing a bell before they put the food on the floor and what they noticed was that the dogs started drooling anticipating the food just from the sound of the bell. And this is fascinating, right? And this is how even now we have that Pavlovian response. We have an anticipation of something that we're going to get and it creates a desire within us. So it might be that you are working at home or you're working in the office and it's been a stressful day and you start telling yourself about how you need to have a drink to unwind. So you start that process of desiring a drink to change how you're feeling before you actually have the drink and this is what desire is and what they noticed in this study was that even one step further is that before they rang the bell the nurses used to walk along the corridor and back then these nurses had pretty clickety clock shoes they were thick set wooden ones and the dogs began to associate the wooden clogs in the hallway from the nurses hearing that noise to their food coming so they started drooling but when the nurses were walking down the corridor and this is it right so what happens is is that when it comes to that moment where we want to have a drink that isn't the moment that we decided that we wanted a drink the desire for the drink started way way before that 
And that's what you need to work out. And I can help. I can send some worksheets to help you with that as well. And we need to work out what starts creating that desire for us. <clears throat> and the way that they had to decondition these dogs is that the nurses would walk down the corridor, the dogs would be drooling, they'd come in and they wouldn't feed the dogs the food. But the dogs were still expecting it. And then they continued that. So the nurses would come into the room, they'd do the clip clock, they'd do the bell, but they wouldn't feed the dogs. And eventually, over a time, and they've done it quite a few times, they began to realise that the dogs disassociated. They deconditioned themselves to the noise of the clogs, to the bell, about getting the food. No longer were they listening for footsteps or bells in order to get their food. And this is what we can do with alcohol. This is literally the same process. We have to decondition ourselves to not desire alcohol. So where does desire come from? So I touched on a few different points there. So desire comes from the habits that we create for ourselves. It's the choices, the decisions that we have throughout a day. It's the patterns that we go through. It's the expectations that we have. And, and by expectations, I mean, we set ourselves up in a way. We give ourselves rules about when we can drink. So if we had a day at work and we went to pick the kids up from the childbinders and they've been playing up, we're going to be quite stressed. And we're going to say, in our mind, we've already agreed with ourselves, we've negotiated that if that sort of situation or circumstance happens, that we're going to have a drink. We create that desire ahead of time. And this is what happens. Like we start creating desire ahead of time in the rules that we set ourselves, in the habits that we have. You think about habits when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is I have a, a cup of coffee, I listen to some music to kind of get me into a nice state, and then I do my journaling. And as you go through the day, you have other habits and you build and build and build upon them. And it's no different to when you're drinking. Drinking becomes a habit. It's a habit. My old habit used to be drinking or living for the weekend, right? So every Friday after work, I knew it was go out after work and have drinks. That was a habit that I created. When I wasn't able to do that, it made me feel really uncomfortable. And then the habit on a Saturday was to get to the pub for 12 o'clock in order to start watching the football and put my football bets on and have a beer. Like I created all of these habits for myself. And that creates a desire. So even before the weekend came, I was already anticipating that's what I was going to do. There was a strong desire for me to go and fulfill that need. And the choices that we make all through a day, they all count to it as well. And the stories that we have about ourselves, I think these are really important. Or the stories we have about alcohol. So the story about how we can't stop. We just don't know how to do it. It's too hard. Think about the scorpion, right, in the story we've just listened to. The scorpion thinks that's his nature. We make up stories about how that's our nature as well. But the thing is, that was our past, and we're trying to base our future based, based on the past experiences. And we don't need to. The future can be whatever we want it to be. So we need to start changing the narrative that we have about ourselves. And even the, you know, people have stories about us, how they expect us to be as well. And we live up to them because we 
want to save face if we don't do what other people expect us. But it's at our own detriment. It's at our own cost. We're the ones who get affected by it. So we have stories that we tell about ourselves. And the thing that ties all of this together is our thinking. It's our thinking that creates desire. Thinking thoughts that create the feeling of desire. So thinking, I need to go to the pub at the weekend. I need to drink to relax. I need to have a wine in order to chill out. The kids are stressing me out. I need to have a drink. No, look, there's so many different combinations of those thoughts, but ultimately they are all geared towards having a drink, getting that reward of the alcohol and fulfilling the desire. And I think this will help a little bit more is that <clears throat> we think about desire, right? What is desire? Desire is a feeling and it, it can feel quite intense. It can almost feel like it's out of body. You know, when you feel so compulsive that you have to have something, you need to do it, otherwise you're going to die. <laughs> and that's literally what our brains are telling us, right? Our brain is telling us that if we don't follow through with this action, we're going to die because we've trained ourselves to do it that way. So we have an urge. An urge is urgency. Urgency. That's why it feels so like you can't sit down. You need to do it. You know, I had it today. I was uh, working on something for my work. It was getting a little bit uncomfortable because I wasn't sure what to do. And my response is that I go to the cupboard and I start looking for food. And I'm, I'm, I'm there and I'm like, this isn't what I want. Like, what is it that I'm avoiding? I was trying to avoid the feeling of feeling uncomfortable because I was telling myself I didn't know what I was doing. And that's it, right? The thinking creates the, the feelings and then the desire. So for me, my default now, or use not so much now, but is to go and have food instead. So we have we, we, we create a loop, a cycle. So we think we need to have a drink and the way that we relieve that is by having a drink. And then what happens is the brain thinks that if we don't have this, we're not going to be able to survive the day. It's literally a life or death situation. From the minute we wake up until the minute we go to sleep, our brain's primary function is to keep us alive. Now, what happens in between waking up and going to sleep, it, it doesn't matter. But as far as our brain concerned, is it wants us to survive the day. So when we create all of these like strong desire and loop habits for drinking alcohol the brain thinks gets confused and it thinks that's what we need in order to survive the day that's what we need in order to survive feeling stressed or feeling anxious so we create our own desire and we can uncreate it as well and i think that's important so i was saying right so thinking thoughts so some of the thoughts you might have are like i need a drink uh, i deserve this drink you know, we use drinking for celebrating. We use it for commiserating. We use it to go to sport. We use it to go to weddings. We use it to go to festivals, like literally anywhere. Like get on a plane, you have a drink. Get off a plane, have a drink. Wherever you go, there is alcohol everywhere. And we almost feel a little bit entitled to it. And that creates a feeling of desire. And, you know, red wine's good for the heart. So you justify having your red wine with your dinner. You... You want to forget about the day. Today was too stressful. I just want to forget about it. Quickest way to forget about that is drink alcohol. Because as soon as you have alcohol, it's a sedative. It's like literally starts switching parts of your brain off. You start losing inhibition. So 
I think what we'll do now is we're going to go on and we're going to look at the three different ways that you can manage your feelings. So the first one is give in. Literally give in. Have the drink. That's the first way. Because when you give in, that relief you get from the desire that you've created, it disappears, right? Even though in the moment it's gone and you know that later on that night or the next day, you're going to feel really guilty or shameful or hungover about your decision. In that moment, it disappears. And this is what our brains do. Our brains are looking at the short term, not the long term. Because long term, we know it's bad for us, but short term, it feels it feels so intense because remember, our brain thinks it's going to die that we have to follow through and do it. So we drink, we relieve it, we satisfy the loop. We end up being the scorpion. We end up being the scorpion stinging, our, stinging the frog on the back in the middle of the, the river because that's just what we do because we have trained ourselves to be like that and currently we don't see there being another way out. So I've got a little diagram. I'm not sure if you guys can see it here or not, but it, we've got a desire, right? So the desire to have a drink. And then what happens is we get to action. So we have a drink. And then that gives the brain a reward. And then that recreates the desire. It teaches the desire, reconditions this whole circle. Because when we drink alcohol, it releases chemicals in our brain. And one of the biggest chemicals it releases is dopamine now dopamine is that pleasurable feel good feeling or chemical that gets released into our brain it's like a happier feeling but the trouble with alcohol is is that the more we drink alcohol the more it takes for that dopamine to be released so what happens is is we start creating a tolerance for alcohol and we need to drink more and more in order to get that same feeling which is why it does really feel like you're you're stuck in a loop a lot of the time with drinking because it's literally how the brain is expecting its reward so that's what we want to try and break now you're probably thinking well okay so how do we break it obviously giving in is not what we want to do that's not what we want to do at all so then you've got your second option so your second option is to resist so you can resist the urge to have a drink. So you have a stressful day at work and you, you've picked up the kids. They've been naughty at the childminders and you want to use resistance. And now resistance is like a form of willpower, right? So just imagine you've got a jar. This is a jar of willpower. Now, every day we wake up with a jar of willpower. All of us, exactly the same size, right? This big. This is our willpower for a day. From the minute we get up, we're having to make decisions about the day. And this jar starts going down. So we get in the car, uh, someone cuts us up, and we have to use our willpower not to lose the plot and shout at the other driver. Willpower goes down. Get to work, everything's okay. Realise we've forgotten our packed lunch. We're on a food plan. We don't want to eat crap food. We end up eating stuff that we don't like. Willpower goes down because we didn't make a choice to go and get something healthy because we thought it would take too long the willpower goes down and then you get home for the evening and your willpower is probably down here right now in the beginning you could probably get away with this for like a few days a week two weeks maybe but eventually what's going to happen is is that one day you wake up and your willpower is up here 
someone cuts you up, you don't you you lose the plot this time. Someone at work says something about you or reports you for doing something wrong and you disagree with what they said, your willpower goes down. You go to pick the kids up from the childminder, the childminder says that they've been really, really naughty today and she's thinking about letting them go. <laughs> your willpower's down here. The next thing you know, you're at home, one of the kids throws the remote at the TV and smashes it. <sighs> willpower has gone. This there's there's no more resistance. There's no more willpower left in order for you to stop reaching for a drink because that's what happens when we try and use willpower. It's like we're, we're, it's a battle of wills. Even willpower is like it's a competition almost. And what's happening is we've got our old brain, the primitive part of our brain. This is where our days are made up of automation and habits. So we talked about habits, about waking up, about doing the same things. The reason that we do that is because the brain doesn't want to use energy. It wants to conserve the energy throughout the whole day. Because in a day, our brain uses up about 20% energy. And our brain doesn't want to do that. So we store habits into our subconscious. The trouble is, <laughs> not all of these habits are particularly good for us. But the brain doesn't care because remember, all the brain's caring about right now is surviving the day. And as far as it's concerned, it doesn't have to think about doing that thing, even if it's detrimental to the health. Uh, it still wants to go ahead and do it. So we've got the old brain. We've got all the old thoughts, all the old habits in the background. And then we've got our new brain. So this is the primitive part of not the primitive. This is the executive part of our brain. This is the new brain. This is the, the new brain we've got. But... You've got to look at it like the new brain is for about decision making. It's about personality. It's all of these other things. And it it is quite small in terms of like if we look at it from going to the gym, the executive brain, you know, he's quite new to the gym. He doesn't really know his way around. He has to get people to squat him, uh, spot him and stuff like that. And then you've got your old brain and they're like big, tough. They've been doing it a long time. They know exactly how to handle things. They've already done these habits before. They know how to do it. And then you, what happens is, is you have like a competition between the new brain and the old brain. And when we're trying to use willpower, it's like we're in conflict. And when we're in conflict, you get that arguing with yourself. Now, I still get it. And I, I think everybody gets it. It's where you've got an old belief, pattern or behavior that you're trying to change and you're trying to use your new one. And the two of them, they don't really see eye to eye at the minute because the old brain wants to hold on. It wants to survive. It knows how to do this. But the new brain's like, no, 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 we could do it this way. If only we just gave it a try. And what happens is you go backwards and forwards. You resist it. You try to resist the, the old thoughts and feelings. And, and then eventually you just find yourself creating anxiety for yourself it makes you stressed out because of the internal battle you're having all the time and we use alcohol to relieve those types of feelings like drinking for anxiety and for stress so that's not really what we want to do is it um because when we drink for anxiety and stress whilst they work in the moment they actually perpetuate it they ended up you end up needing to use alcohol uh, to relieve them again. So then alcohol comes the problem to your solution, and that is not a good place to be. So this brings us on to the third and final point, which is the most important point, and that is around allowing urges. 
So when you get the desire, when you get the urge to have a drink, we're not going to give in. We're not going to resist it, i.e. pretend it's not there and try and push it away or use our willpower. Because remember, we only get a certain amount of willpower. There's only so long that we can achieve that for. What we want to do is allow the urge to be there. Now, this takes a bit of practice. I'm not going to lie. If you're not used to doing this, especially if you're not used to understanding your feelings and many of us aren't and myself included is it takes a while to train yourself to recognize what feelings are and when we feel certain ways it makes us do or not do certain things if we let it but we can also allow these feelings and I think when you're allowing in a feeling say you get home go back to the scenario right the kids are just smashed the telly with the tv remote you your default is going to be to drink because that's how you've trained yourself or you recognize that you're very stressed you recognize that and if possible it's not always easy with kids around but if possible take yourself to a place where you can sit down and when you sit down you close your eyes and then just literally feel what is going on in your body? So a term they use in meditating is in meditation is like scanning your body. So go from your head, imagine like scanning down from your head down to your toes and like feel where is that feeling in my body? Do my shoulders feel really tight? Is my jaw clenched? Is my chest tight? Do I feel like butterflies in my stomach? Do I feel sick, nauseous? All different things. Do I feel like tingly in my finger? A sensation I get when I uh, get stressed is that my, I notice that my ears start throbbing. And it's very subtle, but I've learned to recognise that that is a feeling of when I'm feeling stressed, is that my ears start to pulsate. So when you do that, you sit down and you start feeling where it is in your body, then you can start asking your questions like, OK, so can I help move this? Like, what will happen if this stays here? So keep your eyes closed and breathe into it. Breathe into where you can feel the, the tightness or the anxiety ask yourself what color is it what does it feel like what does it look like if i breathe if i keep breathing will it go and it might not go but the point being is that you allow it to be there you're not trying to get rid of it you're just noticing it's a feeling in your body previously when this feeling's in your body you would have gone and had a drink but now you recognize, oh, I've got this feeling in my body. You sit with it. You allow it to be there. The worst thing that can happen is that it is there for a little bit longer. That's it. It's just a feeling in your body. You can change your, your state as well. You know, you could go and watch a comedy film. That would very much change it. And the thing is, like, you might do that for the first time and then two minutes later the kids are still kicking off and you find yourself stressed again and, and like reaching for that place but this is it you're going to have to keep coming back to it more and more and more now in the beginning you might have to sit down and close your eyes but over time you will begin to recognize the sensation in your body and you can say to yourself oh i'm feeling stressed oh i'm feeling anxious today oh where's this boredom coming from you start to notice it where it is. And when you do that, you will notice the thoughts that come along with it. And that's good. It is good because we're still going to have those default thoughts about when to have a drink because we've had them for so long. We can't expect them to have disappeared already. 
So write down those thoughts, write them all down, because the more that you recognize what your thoughts, triggers, habits are, then you can begin to start changing them. And the thing is, the more you do this, the more thoughts are going to come up. And that makes sense, right? Because so much of it is old, old conditioning from like very, very young age. So we don't want to follow through with the urge when we're allowing it. And we don't want to push it away. We don't want to nullify it. We just want it to be there without acting on it. Now, sure, it's going to feel a bit uncomfortable for a while. But I promise you, being willing to feel uncomfortable, doing it for up to 100 times in a row without following through, you will be a completely different person in how you manage your desire for alcohol. And I've got a great worksheet, actually, if anybody would like it on that. So just either drop me a DM or put a comment saying worksheet, and I can send that out for you. So the only way to stop the desire is by deconditioning the responses, which we've just talked about. So if there's no reward, there's no dopamine. When there's no dopamine, there's no desire. Then there's no desire, we don't take action. We don't reach for a drink. And when we don't reach a drink, we don't get the reward. So we completely shift that loop that we've been having. Um, also with allowing an urge, I like to think about meditation is that when you meditate, you sit there and you are, you're conscious of your breath, right? You're breathing in and working out, breathing in and just being aware of what's going on for you. And when you're meditating, the idea is that you sit still. You don't reach, to, you don't scratch or do anything else because you don't want to be distracted when you're meditating because the idea is that you're trying to, you know, take out the distractions and it's a bit like an hour allowing an urge we're not trying to scratch the, the urge we're not trying to itch the scratch you know we want it to still be there because what we notice is that it disappears so when you're meditating and you get a scratch after a few minutes it will go it will disappear it's just the mind's way of trying to keep you busy so the more we allow the more thoughts we get so what will happen is your brain starts trying to negotiate you with new and wonderful ways in order for you to get a drink. It's okay. You've got to approach this with no judgment. Just because you're thinking that you still want to drink, it does not mean anything has gone wrong. I promise you, there is nothing wrong with you. You're not a scorpion. You're a human who has thoughts. We all have these thoughts. And I think when we start making those thoughts mean that we aren't able to do it and that we're not we're a bad person or we're not worthy that's when we heap on all of that shame and when we're in shame that's when we end up drinking again so that is how you allow an urge <clears throat> and i promise guys anyone can reduce their desire for alcohol i really honestly believe that it, it just takes retraining your brain deconditioning all of that uh, drinking thinking that you've had in the past so i'm going to show you a model that i this is what i use heavily in my coaching practice with clients and this is a thought that really really worked for me when i was stopping drinking so we have a circumstance right it's alcohol now when you think about it alcohol is actually completely neutral alcohol is just a liquid in a bottle or a can or a whatever it comes in right but it's not until we have thoughts about that alcohol does it start to make us feel any way it's not until we drink that alcohol that it starts to affect us but alcohol itself is completely neutral 
And the thought that I had about alcohol when I first stopped, or when I first stopped, um, I woke up on a sofa after the night before, really embarrassed, been trying to buy drugs in a pub on Boxing Day, utterly ashamed of myself and just decided that this was the day I'd had enough. Like, I don't feel like it was a, a worse day than any other hangover I've had, but it just, I knew that this was the last day that I wanted to to do this. And I read this Naked Mind by Annie Grace. This is a fabulous book for anyone who's interested. And what came from reading that book and re-educating my brain and changing the way that I used to think about or changing the way I think about alcohol was really phenomenal. And one of the thoughts that came to me when I was doing this is that I can't be bothered with alcohol anymore. Because when I can't be bothered with alcohol, it creates a feeling of unbothered. It's like when you're at home and the younger and the dishes are all there waiting, stacked up, waiting to be washed. And you're just like, I can't be bothered. It's really unbothered feeling. And that's what I created with alcohol. I literally created a feeling of being unbothered by drinking alcohol. Now, whilst this is a good thought in this particular scenario, in other areas of my life, it's not so useful. But that doesn't matter. You know, like the fact that it worked for here is all I need. That is all I need. And it's all you need is to find a thought that will help you to unlearn your desire for alcohol. So when I was unbothered, the things that I do is I stopped planning about when to go out and drink. I stopped planning from Tuesday, Wednesday about going out on Saturday. The amount of time I used to waste on where I'd go and who was going out and checking WhatsApp messages and getting all excited about going out and drinking. Like just that alone, I was using up so much desire before I'd even gone to the pub. So we talk about the bell. That was my bell in the beginning of the week. And I also read books about stopping. No, meant lots and lots of books. Listen to podcasts. I spent a lot of time retraining my brain and how I wanted to think about alcohol. Now, in the beginning, it, it was resistant. I was like, oh, that can't be true. But then it got to a point where I just accepted that everything that I was reading about alcohol was, in fact, true. Because when you do that, it makes it so much easier. And then so I'd walk past pubs. I remember walking past pubs and I'd be like, I can't be bothered with that. It just There was no desire to go there. I spent a lot of time Googling withdrawal symptoms. And, I, and there's probably a lot more stuff that I was doing when I was thinking that thought. But it was really powerful because the, the result was that I didn't drink alcohol. I still haven't drunk alcohol. It's like, I don't even know, 600 days now. I stopped counting. So it was super, super powerful. And this is the power of our feelings. Our feelings are, are nothing to be scared of. They actually can help us in what we want to achieve. But we're so busy trying to avoid them a lot of the time because we because our brain is telling us we're going to die if we don't follow through, if we feel that bad, that we avoid them by doing certain actions like drinking. Okay, so we're almost at the end. I just want to say about if you want to work with me, if you've enjoyed what you've watched and you want to take this work a little bit further, then I have a 12-week stop drinking coaching program. And, you know, you can get some amazing results stop drinking and for me it's not just about stopping drinking because when you stop you then find that there's you want to find a new purpose because all of that time and energy and desire that you've been using on drinking alcohol like 
that is free all of a sudden you've got all of that like where does it go and I think having someone to work with encouraging you and give offering you ideas about how you can use that is really important so I work with people to help them stop drinking and then find purpose after after alcohol so you can either visit my website patrickjfox.com slash consultation or send me a dm nice and easy so before we go on to the Q&A section, if, and this would be a great time, guys, if you have got any questions that you wanted to ask me about what you've seen tonight, drop them into the Facebook chat and we can go through them. And now I'm just going to summarise what we've been talking about this evening. So deconditioning your desire, that is what we're aiming to do. It takes practice. It takes patience. And it can happen much quicker than you think. We think that 30 days seems like such a long time away, but you can be surprised how quick 30 days will come and go. We want to allow urges. <clears throat> so that means no giving in, no resisting, no pushing away, allowing them to be there. Because when you allow that feeling, that urgency, <coughs> excuse me, in your body, you'll realise it can't hurt you. I'm going to have to have a quick drink, sorry. There's nothing that it can do to you. There really isn't. And write down your thoughts. Write down all the thoughts you have about drinking alcohol. A lot of the work that I do, guys, is around mindset because we literally have to change the way that we think. We need to change the way we think because that makes us feel different ways. Now, remember, everything we do in life is because of how we want to make us feel. So we have to change the way we think in order to change the way that we feel. And that, in return, changes the actions that we take in life, changes our behaviours, changes our habits. And it can happen. And it's patience and it's practice. And it can be done. I can guarantee you. Now, Guys, if you want any worksheets from me, so there's two worksheets I'm going to offer you guys today. There's one on catching all of your thoughts on how you can do that. So looking at your triggers and habits. And then the other worksheet I said about uh, capturing your urges. OK. Thank you all for watching this evening. I hope you've got something out of it, even if it's just one tiny little thing that begins to start shifting that mindset, that drinking thinking. And this is it, guys. Like, if you just got one thing a day, every day for a year, you'd be so much closer to where you want to be. Now, I don't think it takes a year to stop at all. I think it takes 12 weeks or less. So if you're interested in working with me, drop me a message and we can chat about that. I'm not seeing any messages in the chat. So I'm going to wish you all a good evening. Thanks all very much for watching once again. And I'll see you soon. If you want to find out more about working with me and seeing how I can help you stop drinking and start showing up in life the way that you really want, visit patrickjfox.com to find out more or book a free consultation using the link in the show notes. Until next time, take care.